0: ...without being disrespectful to the dead. Connie, after all, had named the little girl, and Connie had died giving birth to her. They couldn't just choose a new name the way people do when their pets change hands. The clock said 8.46 when he went to the window and peered down 23 stories into the lane's leafy green canyon. From this height, Anna Madrigal's courtyard was nothing more than a terracotta postage stamp. He surveyed their vista, a boundless sweep of city, bay, and sky stretching from Mount Diablo to Angel Island and beyond. There were no chimney pots or eucalyptus branches blocking their vision, no unsightly back stairwells or rocky rises framing some half assed little chunk of water. What they had at the summit was a goddamn view, as slick and unblemished as a photo mural, and just about as real. They had done it for Shauna, and for security, and because they needed a tax shelter. They had also done it because Marianne wanted a glossier setting for her lifestyle. God help her, she had actually used that word. Mrs. Madrigal had taken it well, but Brian knew she'd been hurt by their departure. At the very least, her sense of family had been violated. Even now, five months after their ascension, their old apartment at 28 Barbary Lane remained empty and unrented, as if something had died there. Maybe something had. Anna Steps, Shawna said, when they reached the rickety wooden stairs leading to Barbary Lane. The lane, after all, belonged to Mrs. Madrigal. Even the grown-ups knew that. There was a bulletin on the landing that confirmed the landlady's sovereignty. Save the Barbary Steps. Insensitive city officials have plans to replace our beloved wooden steps with hideous concrete ones. Now is the time to speak up. Contact Anna Madrigal, 28 Barbary Lane. Damn right, he thought. Give them hell, Anna. The landlady stood in the courtyard, hunched over her largest Cinsamia plant. She was plucking its leaves with a tweezer, coaxing the potency into its blossoms. Her face suggested brain surgery in progress, but she was humming a merry little tune. Shawna bolted into the courtyard, losing herself in the folds of Mrs. Madrigal's pale muslin skirt. The landlady gave a startled yelp, dropping the tweezers, then laughed along with the kid. "'I saw your notice,' he said. "'Are those crazy bastards really going to tear down the steps?' The landlady nodded soberly. "'If we don't put up a fight.' Well, if there's anything I can do. There is, actually. I thought perhaps if Marianne could say something on her show. You know, just a few words about preserving our heritage, that sort of thing. She fussed with a wisp of hair at her temple, waiting for his response. Yeah, well, sure, I could mention it to her. They have an awfully rigid format, though. He was backtracking now. Remembering Marianne's aversion to what she called hokey local items, Mrs. Madrigal's crusade would almost certainly fall into that category. The landlady read him like a book. "'I see,' she murmured, then began scanning the ground around her feet. "'Now where did those damn things go? "'Shauna, dear, look over there in the ivy and see if you can find Anna's tweezers.' He thought briefly of begging her forgiveness, then turned frivolous in his embarrassment. Hey, he blurted. You should grow your fingernails long. Why is that, dear? You know, like those housewives in Humboldt County. Works much better than tweezers, they say. She handled this clumsy inanity with her usual grace. Ah, oh, yes, I tried that once. She shook her head. I wasn't man enough for it." He laughed, hugely relieved. In Mrs. Madrigal's repertoire, a proffered joke was the next best thing to forgiveness. Rising late in her suite at the Fairmont Hotel, Wren Douglas ordered a hearty breakfast then ambled into the bathroom to take stock of the cornucopia of miniature creams and shampoos that undoubtedly awaited her. This was her sixteenth city in three weeks. Her fat wrap had become a well-worn tape, almost too fragile to survive. Enough.